in my life, I have gotten really good at starting things. I love to start things. My favorite. But I'm not always good at finishing things. Anybody else have a share with me? Okay, we'll form a support group after this. I love starting things. I, 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 starting businesses, starting clubs, starting studies, starting churches. It's like, I like that part. This is the newness of it. It's kind of new and shiny. I like that. But it's not great that I can't finish things sometimes. I, I'm thinking right now of a home project that has been sitting there for like two months. And when I go home today, I'll see it needing to be done, and I haven't done it yet. I started it. I got one board done. This is my problem. I, I can show you hundreds of songs that I've started, not finished them. I, I even have a children's book I've been working on, still not done. Shocker. Love to start things. I'm not so good at finishing things. And for those of you who can relate to that craziness, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Sometimes you start something and it starts out so great. You know, a lot of times we talk about that in January, right? But January's coming up faster than we realize. We get to January, and we're ready for a new budget spending plan. Uh, I don't want to say diet, but nutritional plan, or an exercise thing you're going to do. Maybe, maybe you're going to commit. I'm going to read the Bible every day in 2023. That, that's a good thing, right? Then we start out great. And then like two weeks in, we lose some steam. Y'all are laughing because that's happening. Don't point at anybody in the room. That is notorious for starting things and not finishing them. We get off track. And it's so easy to get off track, isn't it? It's so easy. Well, we're going to be finishing the Nehemiah series. And it's called 52 because what? How many days did it take to rebuild the wall? You got this. 52. Spoiler alert. It's right there. 52 days, they got the wall up. Some good things have been happening. Like last week, the people were ready to start getting their worship back on right. In fact, they promised this time, hey, we're serious. We're going to follow this Mosaic law. And they were so serious, they even put it in writing. That's how serious they were. I'm going to write my name on it. You know, when we write our names on stuff, it gets serious. They're going to do it, by golly. They are going to do it. Do you believe in them? Have you read the end of Nehemiah yet? Okay, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but we're going to see how when we start out great sometimes, but we don't always finish well. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. I mean, this story of Nehemiah has been going on for a long time. If you remember that weird guy named Zerubbabel, back in the day with the first king of Persia, uh, they, he took 50,000 some people, the 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 remnant of what was kind of the southern tribes of, of, of Israel, uh, they come back to Jerusalem. And uh, this process has been going on for a long time. And so all this great stuff happened. Remember the first thing they rebuilt, if you remember this from, from Ezra, you may not, but that's okay. The first thing they get back and they build is the, is the altar so they can start worshiping again. Probably because these pagan kings really wanted all these nations they conquered to be praying for them. So there was a little bit of a, a bit of an agenda there from some of these pagan nations, but they wanted those Jews to be praying for them, praying for their kings, praying for their kids. 
So they get back with, with some leadership and they, they get the altar redone and they rebuild the temple. Now it wasn't as great as Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was pretty awesome. This second one was... Some of the people that remembered what their parents told them about the first temple, they were like, oh, it's nothing like the original. But they get that going, so they get worship going. And by the time we get to Nehemiah, now the rest of the, the, the project is coming together. They got the, the wall built, and it wasn't like the little you know, brick wall that you have at your house. This was a thick wall, right? You could walk on it. Several people could walk on it. They got that done, and they're starting the repopulation of the city, and we're going to see that there were some volunteers that wanted to be early adopters, but some great things happened, but the people realized that all of their troubles all this time had to do with one thing, disobedience. As God's people, they kept struggling with obeying the law. But as we saw last week, they're serious now. We're, going to, we're back. Israel's back. We're going to be the new empire. We're going to be the new great power in the world. They were ready to see a resurgence, and they were ready to obey. And we'll see how well they do. Pastor Ben, I'm glad you're here with us. Whether that be online, hello, we see you, or here in person. We gather like this like Christ followers all over the globe. You've heard me say this before. We're one big dysfunctional family of faith. We're followers of Jesus, many of us are. And uh, we, we gather like this to lift up his name because it was on a Sunday many, many years ago that the women and the disciples found the tomb was empty. And it changed human history forever and changed many of our hearts forever. So we lean in to worship him and him only today. But we're going to look at the scriptures today. I hope you have your Bible or device. Find Nehemiah chapter 11. And uh, let's, let's pause for just a word of prayer. Right? Take a deep breath. Let it out. Let's pray. Father, you're good, mighty, powerful. We serve you as king and you as Lord. And today, Lord, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Father, you've called us to some great things. In fact, Father, you're doing some rebuilding and, and revival in our own lives, in our own hearts. And so, Father, we lean into that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Empower us to be people who love and obey your son, Jesus. And we gather in his name now, and we pray in his name, Jesus. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 11 is where we're going to be. So the people, remember, they are they're ready to obey now. This is... They're serious. They're going to they're gonna obey. There's no, no, no mincing of words. They got their names on the dotted line. They're going to do this thing, right? And now they're going to start repopulating the city. So let's hear about some of that early repopulation work. In Nehemiah chapter 11, just the first couple verses. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who were willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So we have the leaders are kind of leading by example there in the city. Now, it might have been a little scary early on to live in the city. I mean, the walls are up, but a lot of the houses still haven't been rebuilt. I mean, some of that stuff, it's been rubble for 140 years. I mean, back when Nebuchadnezzar, the guy with the weird name uh, from Babylon, came and like destroyed the city, broke down the walls, and systematically destroyed the temple, some of these rubble bits have been there for a long time. So it might have been kind of scary. You ever, you ever been in a place where it's like a ghost town? It's kind of eerie, isn't it? 
So it might have felt a little bit like that. You're, I mean, it's the holy city. I mean, this is our city. We're, we're the people of God, but it feels creepy walking around town with all this rubble. So some of the leaders, they, they start. They're going to lead by example. They're there. And then they choose lots or kind of cast lots, kind of a bit of a lottery system. And uh, then the people who are chosen willingly go to live. About a tenth of the population that are in the surrounding towns agree to join the leaders and start this repopulation business. So that's good. And we find that if you look in chapter 11, I mean, their, their, their names are all listed here. It's kind of a hall of fame. It's kind of a little bit like, a, I don't know, like their version of Ellis Island or something. They're there, their names are written there, and these are the people that start the repopulation. And some of these family names go way back to that first group that came over from Babylon. So this is important to them. They're notating who's there. The families are sometimes are saying what, what city they're from. I mean, this is a serious record here. The Hall of Fame, those moving into the city, about a tenth of the folks that were living out, their names are there. This is kind of the early adopters. Kind of like, yay, early adopters. Are you an early adopter? Like, are you someone when new stuff comes out, you've got to be the first one to have the device or whatever it is? I have some friends that are totally like that. When that iPhone came out in, in 2007, uh, I had some friends that were, had to be in line for hours to wait at the Apple store. Weirdos. Anyway, but if you're an early, early adopter, you're not a weirdo. You are, you are good. But all these folks are listed by name in there. It's good. We, we even get to hear some of the descendants are listed. And there are two specific tribes, you should know this by now, a couple of tribes that are mentioned by name in this chapter, which is important for a, a little baby that's going to be born a few centuries later. The tribes of Benjamin and Judah are mentioned. So Judah should spark something in you. A, a, a descendant of Judah is going to be real important down the road. So we have these people listed, and their tribal uh, background and then look, here's what I love. So sometimes when you're reading scripture, things just pop out to you. I don't know if that's happened to you, but it just, look at verse 23. Can you, can you just find that? Look at verse, I think it's 23. Yes. Now there was, I'll just read it here. Uh, for the, there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. In the scripture. I didn't make it up. So the king, we're presuming that's the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, who I also thought maybe it might be the same king that Esther's married to. I don't know for certain, but who knows? Same time frame. Anyway, side trail, back to the main thing. So Artaxerxes makes provision as they're repopulating to make sure that the Levites, but especially the singers, that is musicians, have their provision by the government. Let me say that again. So the musicians were specifically paid by the government. I like this as a musician. Sign me up. Whatever politician runs on that one, I want the check. Right here, sign me up. Musicians were paid by the king of Persia. Now, these were singers that, what did they spend most of their time doing? This probably would have been a Levitical tribe. So they're out and around the temple. And they're singing every day. Have you ever met anybody that likes to sing a lot? in the car, in the shower, whatever. These are people that that was their main job, was to sing. And they're paid by a pagan king. My favorite. Sign me up. Paid by the king. So we get to chapter 12, right? And we get to chapter 12, and there's special recognition and writing down of the names specifically 
of the Levites and the priests. Now, why is that so important? What was their main job for the nation of Israel? What were the Levites supposed to be doing? Remember, they couldn't, they couldn't be distracted by owning land, by doing agriculture. They were supported by the nation because what were they supposed, supposed to be doing? Anybody know? Temple. Yeah, temple. That was, that was their job. That was their gig. They made sure that the music was always rolling. Thank you, singers, paid for by the government. Awesome. So the singers were going. And they had, they, had to, they had daily stuff they had to do. Incense, they had the sacrifices, they had, they had a lot of stuff to do. If you ever want to find out what typical priests and Levites did, check out the book of Leviticus. I know it's hard to get through, but this was a serious amount of time and energy to make sure the worship of Yahweh, the worship of Adonai happened. And so we get those names listed here. And there's a good reason for that, Right? that God wanted to make sure that people understood that, hey, worship is the center of our, of our whole culture. The worship of Adonai is so important that we want to make sure that that stays going. So that happens, and then it's time to party. So we get to the middle of chapter 12, and guess what? It is, it is party time. If you were here when we started, we have this map. It kind of explains what's happening here in chapter 12, starting with like verse 27. What we have is we have a lot of instruments happening. Cymbals are mentioned. Now, we have electronic drums back here, but have you ever been near cymbals, actual cymbals? They're seriously loud. Also, bagpipes are louder than you'd expect. But anyway, so these loud instruments, we got lyres, not like people that are lying. They're an instrument. There's harps. Singers, we already know that, right? And so we have a lot of music going on, and, and there's two choirs that, f that are formed. Again, pretty big deal. Two choirs are formed, and one starts at the very south part and goes north, and then another group goes south. So you have two different choirs going in different directions around the wall on the top of the wall. Remember, this was a thick wall. They're up there. They're singing. They're having a great time. And you got men, women, Children, all singing on top of the wall. And we find out, and in fact, this is such a cool phrase. If you have your Bible or device still, still open, remember they're going in different directions. They're making loud noise. They're celebrating. And in verse 43, look at what it says. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So the original Hebrew there is far away. So I don't know if that's like miles people can hear, but I guess if you think about the city of Jerusalem, it was kind of on a bit of a hill, and you had valleys on either side, so maybe just the sound was echoing through those, those valleys. Can you imagine that, what, what that would have been like? People making the noise, singing, choirs going around. That would have been quite a thing to watch. And then the people from out of town are hearing this echo through the valleys. And they rejoiced with great joy. The, uh, your, your, your version of the Bible might say something different, but I love that kind of redundancy. They rejoiced with great joy. I looked that up to see if the commentaries had anything to say about that, and they really didn't. They just said they were obviously very happy. Thank you, commentary. I appreciate that. Sometimes they're not always helpful. But I was looking for some nugget or something, but... They rejoiced with great joy. They were happy. They were happy. So far, 
away, people here. All this ruckus being happening in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so that's good. We have rejoicing. We have celebrating. People are moving back into the city. The people had said, we are going to obey. We're going to do it. We are God's people. We're going to do it. Celebration starting out great. And it starts so good. And then we get to chapter 13. Maybe we should just end it right there. Not go into chapter 13. Some of you may have read ahead. Chapter 13 rolls around. This is the final chapter. Final thing. And at some point, Nehemiah must have been called back to Susa. Right? Because actually, being the governor of Jerusalem wasn't actually his main job. You might remember that his job was a poison checker. Well, the scriptures say he was a cupbearer, which means that, hey, the king wants some wine. Here, dude, see if it's loaded with poison. And so, you know, on a good day, there's no poison in that wine. On a bad day, that's it. That was his main job. So at some point, he's called back to Susa. And uh, what's that phrase, while the cap's away... Well, we get a little of that. You see, 13 starts out, starts out okay. The reading from the book of Moses. Remember, that's the thing they promised in writing that they were going to follow. And they promised like three or four specific areas that seemed to be hang-ups for Israel. They were like, we're really going to keep those. Which, do you remember what they were? Uh, one was like intermarriage, marrying other tribes or marrying other people. So that was kind of a... That made it hard for them to, to know who was who, like who, what tribe you're from, right? So, and that got a little, they said, no, okay, we, will, we really promise we're not going to intermarry. We promise we're going to keep the Sabbath. We will not open up a Saturday market. We promise that. There were some specifics they promised not to do. And they have the, they have the law. They have it. It's not like somebody lost the scroll while Nehemiah was away. Ooh, where did that go? They had it. And um, Nehemiah's away, and the people promised they would obey. They promised, especially those particular areas. So, Nehemiah is away, and things get dicey. Um, what's the first thing that, that kind of goes sideways? Well, uh, there's this guy named Tobiah. Do you remember him? He was part of that trifecta of terror at the beginning of Nehemiah when they were building, they're trying to get the wall rebuilt, and there was these people that were there, locals, trying to stop the work. And Tobiah was one of them, and then a guy named Sanballat, and I don't remember the other guy's name, but you know, we called him the trifecta of terror. Well, one of them, one of them, this guy Tobiah, well, the high priest... Eliashib decides, you know what, let's, let's let bygones be bygones. Tobiah, come on back. You know, you were mistreated. Remember, Nehemiah's away. Come on back. In fact, let's give you an apartment on the temple grounds. Now, that should at least raise some yellow flags here. Remember, who are the only people allowed in the temple, especially the special areas of the temple? Who? Levites, yeah. Tobiah ain't a Levite. 
So the high priest allows him to set up camp, kind of create a little apartment on the temple grounds, and guess what, guess what room that the high priest gives him to, to use? The room for the provisions for the Levites. Where the storehouse was and where, where the support's coming in from the people. Remember, they got to keep the worship going every day. And so that required some funding and that required... That's the room that the high priest gives Tobiah to hang out in. His personal apartment on the temple grounds. So, so many of you are probably seeing that's, that's bad. Well, it was bad. Because guess who comes back into town? Governor Nehemiah comes back, and he kind of notices, huh, I remember that Tobiah guy. Isn't he our enemy? And he is camped out on the temple grounds. Well, uh, how do you think that, that went over for, for, for Nehemiah? How are you feeling if you're Nehemiah right now? The people promised they would do right by the law, and he comes back, and he, here's verse 10 of chapter 13. I found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, and so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. Now they're going back to farm work instead of the worship of God. So, uh, <laughs> verse 11, so I confronted the officials. He confronted them. And verse 8 should give you a clue as to how he confronted them. The scriptures say this, And I was very angry. So, when I was a kid, there was a show on TV called The Incredible Hulk. And Lou Ferrigno was the Hulk. And like he was this bodybuilder guy. Anybody remember that show? And, and what did Bruce Banner always say? You don't want to see me when I get angry. Nehemiah is very angry because where's the worship happening? They're all out working their fields. The temple is very quiet and there's this new dude shacked up in the provisions temple. So Nehemiah is very angry, confronts them and, uh, and ha gets them back on track, gets them back to supporting the Levites. So, and then Nehemiah says a bit of a prayer. Remember me, Lord. But I don't think his blood pressure has gone back down yet. Because with this guy, Tobiah, he has made Nehemiah so angry that Nehemiah is throwing Tobiah's furniture and stuff out of the temple grounds. He is so angry that someone has come into the sacred place and set up camp interrupting the worship that Nehemiah has to go in angry and toss things out of the temple. So, Chase Lounge, got to go. Waterbed, I don't know if he had a waterbed at the point, but that's out. Throwing stuff out. Can you, can you think of a moment in the New Testament when a leader, I'll, I'll leave him nameless, comes into the temple to clean house? Interesting, isn't it? Jesus had to come in and clean house. Something was not right in the temple. 
So just, just hold on to that, you know, let that sink in a little bit. But, so we got Nehemiah sort of going Hulk mode. You picture him green, maybe all puffed up, but he's throwing stuff out. Okay, so that happens. Then, uh, then we're good, right? Just one thing. Uh, look at verse 15. So they, 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 they failed at the first thing. They said they were really, really going to obey this time. We're going to make sure that the temple and all that's covered. Then Nehemiah takes a little breather. Then he happens to notice on a Saturday, people are setting up a Saturday market inside Jerusalem. What were they not supposed to do on the Saturday? Sabbath. No ordinary work. It's the fourth commandment of the top ten back in Exodus 20. They know this commandment. And what happens? Nehemiah is seeing them. He's hearing donkeys and carts and people bartering on the Sabbath. So that's not good. So Nehemiah still may be a little bit heated. He might still look green a little bit. Yeah, from Hulk, Hulk mode version 1. Now he has to go into anger mode version 2. And he's like, why are you doing this evil thing? He says in verse 17. You're profaning the Sabbath day. You promised not to do that, and you're doing it. So that's Hulk mode two. And he has to like go on offense here and like post people at the city gates when it's like sundown on Friday so that people aren't coming into town to start doing business on Saturday, totally forgetting to worship the Lord. So, so Nehemiah now has to be right there, and he's threatening people at this point. Don't you dare do work on the Sabbath. He's having to be there at the gate threatening people. So he's having some anger management issues. I'm getting that here. And you're thinking, okay, well, those two things, okay, we'll get those things figured out. So they, they fix those two things. And we might be thinking, okay, we're good, right? Well, no. Then he notices something else. They were intermarrying again with the tribes around, the different nations. and This one, I, I, this, this is probably Hulk mode three. This is actually in the Bible. I'm going to read it, but he, he, Nehemiah is not happy with that because those were three things specifically they promised they would get right this time. They, they started out so well. Parties, singing, choirs on the wall, Nehemiah goes away, and they've already violated these three. I don't know how long Nehemiah was away, but I'm guessing it wasn't that long. And they're already back to their old normal routine. They went back to their norm, back to their disobedience. And on this third one, Nehemiah has had it. He is so frustrated. He is so mad that they've gone back to their norm. And so, chapter 13 he confronts them about the intermarriage because it's important to know what tribal lines everybody's for, from, especially because they, they need to, to know who's who for the Levites and all of that. So it was important to them to know who they were. But they go back and uh, back to intermarrying. And Nehemiah loses it. He, uh, he really loses it. Look at verse, uh, where should I pick this up? Uh, he gets so mad in verse 25. 
His, I'll read it. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. He is mad. Mad enough to pull out their hair. So, okay, it's what Scripture said. Nehemiah is recording this. He obviously blew a gasket. The people started out so well. He goes away, they come back, and they violate three of the specific things of the Mosaic line. And remember, there were like 600, right? 600 some laws, something like that. But three or four of them, they specifically said and put their names down that we will not do. He comes back, those three are happening. He gets to the third violation here, and he's pulling out hair. Upset. Now, the Bible never says, and Nehemiah did good by losing his temper. It doesn't say that, right? He obviously, he was struggling here, okay? He was having some, maybe he took some classes after this. He got some help, went to some anger management. But he's livid because he makes the case that this is exactly why we keep getting beat up by other nations. It's our sin and disobedience. And, and that's why we were, why there was civil war back in Solomon's, you know, kids. They had civil war, and, and then ten tribes went north. We were in the south, and then we had civil war for years, and then Assyria took away our ten tribes, and then, and then finally Babylon took away our, our, our Judah and, and, and Benjamin tribes. They've been beaten up over and over again, and Nehemiah's reminding him, your forefathers did this. Don't we want to tell a different story? And here we are back to these three key areas that we keep, Messing up. And to add to it, toward the end of chapter 13, remember that trifecta of terror? Well, one of that family is still floating around. So much so that that Nehemiah had to literally run out the guy who was the son-in-law of Sanballat, one of the trifecta of terror. He has to literally run him out of town. And the chapter ends, and the whole saga of Nehemiah ends with, remember me, O God, for good. Remember me. And then, that's it. That's Nehemiah. The people are back, still struggling with disobedience. You got two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, kind of the remnants. There's some Levites, we have that group. So we know worship and we know those two tribes are still somewhat visible in the town of Jerusalem. And if you know world history, many kingdoms came and went between this time and the first century. But the people kept on this hope that God wasn't done with them yet. They kept hoping that God still had a plan. And he did. He did have a plan. And after several hundred years, without any major prophets, with scandals of different kingdoms coming through, starting with Alexander the Great, who was the next big one, and Greco-Roman society, then the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, all of this happens. The Herodian period, then you get to the first century. And against all odds, a young girl has a child. And they called him Jesus, Emmanuel, from the tribe of Judah, from these very people. You know, I think it, it reminds me that 
and I don't know where you're at. I mean, where, where are you at in, with your faith and your obedience? So where are you? I think we're a lot like the children of Israel sometimes. We just we struggle with keeping, keeping the main thing the main thing. We struggle to keep walking with Jesus. We struggle. We get off track, and it happens. We drift away so quickly, which is why, as a people, when Jesus says, follow me, it was an active thing. It wasn't a one hour on a Sunday morning. It was follow me 24-7-365. Follow me. It's an active thing. And he told his followers to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Walk in step with the Spirit. If you love me, you'll obey what I've commanded you. See, the way that we operate as Christ followers is to maintain that following Jesus status. Because it's so easy to drift, to get off track. And that means we, we work on holy habits and, and healthy rhythms, whether that be daily and weekly. And that's why we gather on Sundays to be an encouragement to each other, a reminder to worship, to take communion together, to sing together in unity on, on the basis of what Jesus did for us. It requires a daily walking with the Lord. Or else we're going to drift just like the exiles did. We're going to drift. So Jesus calls us to keep following him. Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Get rid of every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Daily, we make the decision when we wake up, today I'm going to follow Jesus. That's the only way we're not going to find ourselves drifting off like those exiles did in Nehemiah's day. To prioritize every day to follow Jesus. Because God has created some great work for us to be involved in every day. In fact, my, my life group, this past week, we memorized a scripture from Ephesians 2.10 together. And that scripture is, for, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. And that's a daily thing. Following Jesus means that there's some maintenance required or else we will drift, just like the people in Nehemiah's day. And to stay on track and not go back to our old habits, that means we have new habits, healthy habits. That means scripture, knowing who God is. That means prayer, talking and listening to the Lord. And that means loving and serving one another. This is a daily thing that we do. We keep in step with the Spirit every day. And when we do that, we prioritize what brings us life. The exiles had kind of forgotten that. What really brings life is being close to the Lord. Worshiping the Lord, obeying Him. So scripture, prayer, serving, loving one another, that's how we prioritize what is really going to bring us life. Jesus himself said, I don't want you just to have an ordinary life. I want you to have an abundant life. And He is the way, truth, and life. So we follow Him. He believes in us. In fact, He told His disciples, I believe in you. You're going to do even greater works than me. God wants to do those great things through you and I, and it requires some maintenance. Every day we're following Jesus, scripture, prayer, loving and serving one another. And that's our invitation. And that's what brings us life. I want to pray. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, you could do that today. Come see one of us. We'd love to pray over you. But uh, let me pray over us now as we close. Father, you're good and powerful and mighty. Help us to prioritize what brings life. That Father, loving and serving you, loving and serving one another. These are, these are the greatest things. Father, help us to, to not drift away, to not get off track, but every day to to, to, to remember to follow your son, Jesus. So, Lord, empower us for that. May your Holy Spirit help us to keep in track, keep in step, 
And so we can prioritize what brings life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.